It's Wednesday, May 1st. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill. Joining me in studio today, he's been busy, but he's back in studio. It's Aaron Bush. Thanks for being here. Thanks for having me. So, boy, we've got a lot of stuff. <laughs> I love earnings season. Uh, we've got some Shopify. We've got. Uh, we're going to take a trip uh, out to Facebook's developer conference, and we've got. The most delightful restaurant news I've seen in a while. But we're going to start with Apple, of course, because Apple, if you're keeping track of this sort of thing, Apple has rejoined Club Trillion. Uh, the market cap is up over a trillion dollars now. Uh, iPhone revenue was down, but I guess we were expecting that. Um, the services revenue, which is something that Apple has basically told us, keep an eye on the services revenue. It was up what sixteen percent? Yeah, not bad. I mean, it is what it is. It's actually not that great of a quarter. Um, <laughs> it was fine. So why, wait, wait. We'll get into the details in a second. Why do you think the stock is up? Because I had the same reaction as you. I was like, oh, this is good. There's some good in here. Yeah. The iPhone yeah, revenue yeah. is down pretty significantly. Why is this stock up? It's important to understand exactly what Apple is right now. It's an iPhone company with a services narrative that creates the most value by giving all of its cash back to shareholders. And so the iPhone sales were what they were, not great. Um, a lot of that has to do with you know, China not being as great as it used to be. It'll probably get better later in the year. Um, other things did well. The iPad revenue was up 22%. Wearables were up 50%. The services business um, was doing well. But I mean, part of why the reason the stock was up a decent amount is because they raised their dividend yet again, and they approved another $75 billion in sherry purchases. They're just coming up with dozens of billions um, out of nowhere and just keep on buying back shares and giving it out. So, Apple today is it's really an income play more than anything, which is fine. I'm personally looking forward to the next meaningful product wave, whatever that might be, so it starts getting exciting again. But this company is just printing cash, and they are creating value. It's interesting that in Apple's history, for the size that the company is, they really haven't made many big acquisitions. Well, they they haven't made many acquisitions. Period. Yes, there are like probably some small ones that people could trot out here and there. But just when you think about the amount of cash they have on the balance sheet, and they could buy just about anything they wanted to that could fit into the services ecosystem or the product ecosystem, and they've just decided, no, we're not going to do that. Yeah, it's it's crazy, and I honestly don't know if that's ever really going to change. It's just part of who they are culturally, and it's interesting to contrast them with someone like Alphabet, whose like entire growth has been based on buying things like Android, YouTube, DoubleClick. Um, so it's really impressive that Apple hasn't needed to. But yeah, part of me wishes that they would step up big in some way, and they probably will. Apple's pretty good at biding their time, waiting for the right moment when they come out the biggest and best, and that could be. Augmented reality within a year or two, for all we know, and suddenly the the entire tech landscape has changed again, and Apple is leading the way. But for now, it's really just about let's just sell more iPhones, let's sell more services, and let's make as many billions as we can and give it all back. This just to drill down on the services for a second. Um, as you said, it was up sixteen percent. I, I that was the part of the quarter I was the most. Lo- curious about was, how are they going to do? What kind of growth are we going to see? 
I looked at the 16% and I just thought, okay. You know, that, like that's not really knocking the cover off the ball. If it had been north of thirty percent, I would have I would have been per- particularly intrigued by that. Now, having said that, if this is something they can sustain, if for the next three to five quarters they can continue to put up this type of growth, then it starts to become meaningful. Because a year ago, when they really started to talk about, wow, we're really going to invest in services. Mm-hmm. It was significantly smaller. You know, you, you would be forgiven for laughing out loud at like, "Come on, it's such a tiny part of your business." I mean, it's now just in terms of straight revenue, it's the second largest part of the business after the iPhone. It's a distant second, but it's well ahead of what they're doing in terms of iPad sales or Mac sales or yeah. wearables. Yeah, I think it's important to put in the context. It is second. To iPhones, but if it was you know a standalone business, it also would be one of the largest businesses in the world. And I actually do think that that 16% growth, probably the teens level growth, they can keep that up, not just you know for the next couple quarters, but for the next few years probably if they do a good job. I know in the past I've talked about um, how their services business, particularly their app store practices, are you know they'll potentially be the subject of antitrust regulation, and that still could happen. I do think that. Um, something probably needs to change, but their strategy is sound in all of the categories that matter most: news, games, payments. They're finding ways to not only provide that basic level platform, but get in on bundling, you know, all of those different things in some way where they can make even more money and put even more pressure on other companies. So, I mean, their their strategy is right. They're doing a good job, but when you're a trillion dollar company, it's tough to move the needle. <laughs> That's true. Uh, Let's move on to Shopify. Shares are up more than 10% this week. Their first quarter revenue grew 50%. And I get that they're not profitable, but that is a really impressive number. It is. And that definitely is what pops out. So let's break that apart a little bit. The majority of that growth, the revenue growth, came from their merchant solution segment, which is driven by a ton of different things like Shopify Capital, which provides loans, Shopify Shipping. A lot of that segment is driven by um, gross merchandise volume or the total dollar amount of orders placed. So it shows that not only are consumers buying through Shopify sites more than ever, but the business owners running them are investing more heavily into their solutions to support these businesses more than ever before. And if you look at the company's press release, literally half of it is just saying, Shopify launched this, Shopify launched that, Shopify launched this list of a dozen things. So. So their pace of innovation isn't slowing, and I think what they're building is really cool. I will say though, um, those numbers sound great. Unsurprisingly, it is decelerating. But what I, what I think investors should keep in the back of their head is that the growth is great, but it's decelerating at an accelerating rate, and that that doesn't really matter if the company is making money and is scaling that. But since Shopify doesn't make money, if that growth Continues to decelerate at an accelerated rate, then it puts more pressure on the bottom line, which they don't have a lot to show for right now. So, so there is some risk there, but I mean, it's such an enormous market. You know, literally hundreds of billions of dollars in online commerce. They're the the biggest and best of what they do. I think you know, if you're looking ten years out, they're well positioned. But there's the, there could be some bumpy, some bumps along the road. Well, and as you were saying about Apple. When your company is a trillion dollars, yeah, it's hard to move the needle. Shopify is a twenty-seven billion-dollar company. They've got a lot of room to run. Yeah, they definitely do have a ton of room to run. 
Um, but they also are priced as if they're going to be running super fast. Um, and as I just mentioned, so you, know, you strike me as someone who would be unconcerned by something I, like that. I I think it depends on your time horizon. If I were to close my eyes and you know wake up in ten years, I'd be totally fine owning Shopify. And I own shares right now, and that's essentially what I plan to keep on doing. But I do think it's important to look at the the growth rates, and especially when I see things. Accelerate in a direction that you don't like. Acceleration is great when it works for you, but it's terrible when it works against you. Um, it's worth paying attention. That's all I'm really saying. F8 kicked off yesterday. This is Facebook's annual developer conference, and uh, I don't know about you, the the image I could not get out of my head in all the coverage that I looked at was Mark Zuckerberg standing on stage in front of the huge. Backdrop, which uh, read, "The future is private." Uh huh. Sure, it is. Yeah. <laughs> and I just thought, boy, that's we. I guess we've we've completely turned around from uh, what was it, 2010, where he was at TechCrunch and saying um, basically, uh, "Yeah, there is no such thing as privacy." Like he gave an interview at TechCrunch on stage where he basically said, "Yeah, I think I think the age of privacy is over, and uh, and it's not really all that important." Anyway, um, there were a bunch of announcements there. I'm curious if there was anything in particular that stuck out to you. Yeah, so I might rant a little bit on this. What what I like about this conference is that it always shows where Zuckerberg's head is at. In 2015, it was all about video, then it was about bots, then it was about augmented reality, and now privacy. And obviously, you know, some of those topics have been hit and miss. I actually do think that this year's big topic is extra important, and I do think that Facebook is serious about changing and a lot of these like bolder changes only come from founders. And so I respect them for that, but you know it's probably not 100% as it seems, and there's some spin going on there. So there is a lot we can learn from what they said, but there's also a lot to learn from reading in between the lines. So, so just to break that apart a little bit, what they said, they've indicated that most growth in social over the next couple of years will come from stories, private messaging, and groups. AKA not their bread and butter, which is news feeds. Um, they've also obviously preached recently about how they're chasing privacy, which is a big word, but really that's driven more by public sentiment and a lot of criticisms that they've gotten more than anything. So what they were able to do in this conference was they were able to meld those two narratives together and show that by changing how Facebook looks and by what it prioritizes, it can better change its privacy image and remain a good business at the same time. So that's that's really the message they're trying to convey. But if you read between the lines a little bit um, and step back at first, when Instagram and Snapchat took off a few years ago, Facebook almost definitely noticed a hit in user engagement, especially from uh, from Snapchat. And the truth of the matter is is that Evan Spiegel was snapped despite their issues and IPOing too soon. He actually has the correct vision for what the next phase of social is. Newsfeeds have a place where the future is about private messaging, groups, and stories. Those three areas where Facebook is now prioritizing and where Snap has always prioritized. Now, Facebook did a good job adjusting Instagram to compete, um, but it also decided, you know, a year or so ago, to reorient the purpose of Facebook, bring it back to its roots of prioritizing, you know, real-life relationships over third-party content, which almost definitely caused yet another hit. And user engagement. So now they're taking even larger steps to more dramatically, um, you know, change what they're doing. But also, I think what they're not telling us is stop a leak <laughs> right. um, in the core of Facebook app a little bit. 
So Facebook's going to be putting stories and groups front and center again. And they actually said that they expect stories content to surpass newsfeed content this year, which is a pretty huge deal in terms of monetizing with ads and what it means for the business model. And they're also going to turn Messenger itself into more of a social network, building out more features there, allowing people that you're more closely connected to to engage in just just more types of ways. Um, they're adding encryption. Um, and the truth of the matter is that Facebook isn't embracing privacy by tearing down the old. They're just adding a bunch of new stuff. Um, that that they're kind of framing up in a more privacy-centric lens without even really touching the old stuff too much. So we'll see how how that goes. They're certainly moving quickly, um, but it'll probably change how they they make money. It will be interesting to see what the reaction from the advertising community is, and and I'm sure that's gonna. Uh, that's not going to happen immediately. I think that's going to play out over the rest of 2019 and obviously beyond that. But it, it will be interesting to see maybe two quarters from now what effect, if any, um, it has on their ability to sell ads because that's that's the business they're in. Yeah, and I, I think I actually do think they're pretty well positioned because a lot of these changes on the advertising front they've gone through with Instagram already, and you see kind of with stories in particular how. It, Ad prices change, but it also like increases the ad load. So I, I think they'll be on a good trajectory there. Um, but yeah, it was really interesting to see how they frame things up, but particularly like what they didn't say, because I think there's a lot of value in just trying to figure out like 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 what are you trying to skirt around? <laughs> oh yeah, um, and it, it says a lot. But I mean, they did announce other things which are interesting. They continue to invest in their portal device, which again, no one ever asked for that, <laughs> and they're they're there's... launching it to more countries where again, those people didn't ask for it, but. You know, whatever. Uh, they're adding new features around relationships, new capabilities to their marketplace. WhatsApp is testing payments in India, which maybe is a big deal. Instagram is testing letting people buy um, like actual goods through influencers' posts, which probably is a way of strong arming Pinterest the same way that with Instagram they use stories the strong arm Snap. So I don't know. I mean, when you have two billion people on your site. And you have a giant money printing machine. There's there's a lot you can do to to change. And honestly, I think what they're doing will keep them going strong for a while. There are definitely a lot of things you can test when you have that kind of platform and yep. that, that amount of money. Um, one thing you didn't mention that I, I'm curious about is uh, well, I guess you touched on this in terms of you know what was the big theme in years past. Um, the Oculus headset is going to start shipping later this month. Yeah. Um, so that I almost forgot about the Oculus headset because there was a point in time where it's like, oh, they've got Oculus. This is going to be amazing. I mean, we've we've tested out those devices, and you know, we've we've got a VR room here at the Fool. So I mean, it's it's definitely something with a lot of promise. And I don't think there's any real expectations from the perspective of the stock in terms of. of Sales of these of this device really moving the needle, but yeah. it it could it's definitely something worth watching um, and to see what extent, if any, if they have success with that, do they begin to start doing testing around that, whether it's around gaming or movies, television, whatever. Yeah, I think it's still a little it's still early for VR to go mainstream. I also think that. Facebook probably isn't the best place for VR to succeed. And in terms, they just have very conflicting models. Facebook is all about um, 
horizontal integration, I guess you can say, where you where they want to be on every different type of device, every different type of platform to get the maximum number of people. Something like uh, Oculus and VR, it's much more vertical in the sense that like they're trying to create their own platform where people come to them for this instead of being all of these different places. Um, so so it's very different, and I don't. I'm kind of skeptical that they'll be able to to pull that off. Um, but again, it's it's early days, and we'll see how things frame up. Final story: Yum Brands' first quarter it was pretty much like every other quarter. This is the most important story. This is the most important story. So let's just and it's it's worth remembering that Yum Brands spun off their China business into a separately traded stock, Yum China. So. Yum Brands, the U.S. story continues to be what it seems like it is every quarter, which is, hey, same store sales and Taco Bell look good. Uh, KFC was pretty good. Uh, Pizza Hut was flat or negative. In this case, it was just flat. So Pizza Hut continues to not. Uh, it's Pizza. How are they not? <laughs> Someone is going to write an article a year from now about the completely blown opportunity at Pizza Hut. Papa John's lit itself on fire from a business perspective, and it was the perfect opportunity for Pizza Hut to take market share. Yes, they got the NFL sponsorship, <laughs> but they just—it's not showing up in the sales. And so, anyway, that's a blown opportunity. So that story is the same as it always is. The most interesting part is Yum China, where their results for KFC were boosted because—and I'm. <laughs> I can't believe I'm saying this out loud. Their sales were boosted because they sold parts of the chicken that were never used before. Let me say that again. You want to talk about innovation in restaurants? <laughs> KFC China is selling a part of the chicken that they've never sold before. Uh, CEO Joey Watt uh, was asked about this on the call. He said, "This is a piece of chicken that's between the chicken wing and the chicken breast." I'm not that I'm not so intimately familiar with chicken anatomy that I can picture what he's talking about. Um, and it was said on the call in Mandarin, and it was not translated. So I don't know what we're talking about here, <laughs> but I am now insanely curious about this. I mean, genius comes in all forms. Whoever whoever <laughs> came up with that idea deserves a promotion. I was talking to uh, Emily Flippin this morning about this. Who got? Who who fell down this rabbit hole really deep? Uh, <laughs> I don't think, we both know Emily. She didn't fall down. She willingly went. Down. Oh yeah, she she willingly skydived down that rabbit hole. Um, but what she was saying was also disruptive about this um, is that because this part of the chicken has been traditionally deemed undesirable. Uh, KFC was able to purchase it at really low prices, and then also able to sell it at really low prices. And so, it's a way to to bring people in for for something new and something something cheap. But she also told me a stat that blew my mind. How many loyalty members do you think KFC in China has? Oh, this is just going to upset me. I know. Uh, I'm going to say I'm going to go high and say 40 million. One hundred and seventy-five million. Oh my! Isn't that insane? Like, like most streaming sites like would love to have that amount of loyalty that KFC China has. One hundred and seventy-five million people. So I totally understand. They're working with a lot of people. They're working with Facebook numbers to <laughs> to that's bring insane. people in. Yeah, that's wild. Also, also I'll say I know you were you were uh, you were talking bad about. 
Pizza earlier, Pizza Hut earlier. But apparently, one of their partner companies, uh, Young Brands partner companies, is Telepizza. And Emily also showed me this today. She was saying that they just launched the Telepizza burger, where instead of the meat and vegetables being on top of the cheese, it's now in between the bread and the cheese. So, more innovation. Going on at Yum Brands. We got to bring in our man behind the glass, Dan Boyd. Uh, Dan, what's your reaction to all this? Well, Chris, uh, I don't know if you've had lunch yet, but how about uh, you and I go down to KFC and get some chicken armpits? <laughs> See, sadly, I don't think they're selling them here, at least not yet. Not yet, Chris, but we'll get our chicken armpits before too long, I'm sure. Someone, I guarantee you, someone at KFC here in the United States. Has got a team working on whatever the branding is going to be, because if the if it really is a situation where we can buy this part for not a lot of money, we can sell it for just slightly more money, we can do this in a profitable way. They are going to rebrand it. It's not going to be chicken armpits, but it's going to be something. Chick pits. <laughs> I, 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 Sorry, we're so bad. We're, we're, we're gonna we're gonna work on this. Well, we're not gonna work on this. We don't have to. We're not getting paid to work on this. The the people at Yum Brands down in uh, Louisville, they're working on this. All right, Aaron Bush, thanks for being here. Good talking to you. Thank you. As always, people in the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and the Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's gonna do it for this edition of Market Foolery. This show is mixed by the immortal Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.